If you have your Bible with you, let me invite you to Psalm 127, to turn with me there to Psalm 127, a little psalm that we've spent two Lord's Days looking at, and I want to return to again tonight, at least as a starting point, as we have uh, something of a topical sermon here this evening for us. Psalm 127, and I'll go ahead and read the entire psalm again. And let me just point out that the following Psalm, 128, picks up on some of the same ideas, speaking of a man who is blessed, and you have a picture there of his home. So the two, which are actually both wisdom psalms, uh, go together in a sense. So Psalm 127, a song of a sense of Solomon, written by Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy or blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray again and ask for God's blessing. Our God, we do acknowledge that unless you build the house, we labor in vain. Unless you add your blessing tonight, we know that the fruit that we desire will not come. So as we open your word, we do so in dependence upon you. Lord, send your Holy Spirit and give us understanding and make these moments in your word profitable. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I still remember many of the sayings that my grandfather often repeated. And some of those sayings were simply humorous. They were jokes or funny little rhymes just to make us laugh. But others were serious, and they were meant for our instruction. He was always speaking to us, to his grandchildren, about priorities. And he would hammer to us again and again, hammer it into us that God was to be first in all of our life. And then came family and school, and according to his order, it was baseball and then everything else. So he taught us that again and again and again, and it stuck with me. Two other sayings of his I heard more and more as he neared the end. When asked how he was doing, he would often say, better than I deserve. And then, usually... In connection with that, he would say something like, I just count my blessings, and you're one of them. I count my blessings. Well, that's what I want to do tonight, in a way, is to count our blessings, to consider some of the ways in which children are a blessing. So, as I said, it's more of a topical message, but we begin here with Psalm 127 which very clearly declares children to be a gift from the Lord, even a reward. So the title of this message is Children Are a Blessing. 
I have in mind, of course, parents, but this is something I believe for all. Now, last week we were looking at verses 3 to 5, the second half of Psalm 127, focusing on the theme of children. And the main lesson of the psalm that the success of all that we do depends on God's blessing, that main lesson we saw applies in the home in a special way to the building of our houses, so to speak, of our homes, our families, the raising of children. When we do this, if we do this, if God gives us children, we are to do it in full dependence on God. We saw that both are essential, hard work and trust in God. So we need both of these. We need to look to God for guidance. We need to seek his blessing, but we can't sit and be idle. One man says, work without trust is self-sufficiency, and trust without work is presumption. In verse 3, Solomon declares that children are a blessing. They are a gift from God. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And then in verses 4 and 5, he paints a very specific picture, a very vivid picture of the benefit of children. He declares that the sons born to a man, particularly in his youth, are a great advantage, and he describes him as arrows in the hand of a warrior. And the assumption, of course, is that these sons are faithful if not godly. Unfaithful, perverse, wicked sons could not be described in this positive way, as arrows in the hand of a warrior. Then Solomon goes on to say that this man is happy or blessed who has filled up his quiver with these arrows because they will not be put to shame, but they will contend with enemies in the gate. And that was not just the entrance of the city where enemies might come, but it was also something like a courthouse where somebody might accuse the father. And here are the sons standing beside their father, their aging father. They're now grown, standing beside him and contending with his enemies, silencing his enemies. So that's the picture we see here. Grown sons and a happy man because he has them all around him standing faithfully with them. And they're men of integrity, young men of integrity and strength and wisdom. They're ready and able to silence and even subdue their father's enemies. That's what we saw. Well, having considered those things, I sought to draw out a few applications. And I limited myself to what I thought were applications that were more close to the text. So we looked at just a few things. But what I want to do tonight is return to this text and to this theme here of the blessing of children and consider several other applications. The basic point with which we start is that children are a divine blessing. They are God's to give or they are God's to withhold. They're a blessing. They are a benefit. And he blesses us in many ways through children, many different ways. So we ask, what are some of those ways beyond what Solomon points to in verses 4 and 5? 
Well, let's consider some of these things. Let's count our blessings, naming them one by one here as we think about the blessing of children. So in what ways are children a blessing? In what ways are they a blessing? I have 10 things that I want us briefly to consider tonight. These are not 10 fully developed points, but there are 10 things that I want us to consider. Some will consider more fully than others, but these are things as we reflect on the blessings of children that we ought to think about. And as we do, I trust you can come up with several other things to add to this list. I'll just mention that the order is somewhat arbitrary, though I begin with a couple pieces of low-hanging fruit. The first is this. Children enrich our lives, filling our homes with joy and gladness. Children enrich our lives, filling our homes with joy and gladness. In this fallen world, this is not always the case. It's not always the case. We read in Proverbs 10 that a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. It's Proverbs 10.1. Children may prove to be like thorns in the flesh of godly parents. But if we are building our homes in the fear of God, we may expect, more often than not, God to add his blessing to our labors and by his grace to make our children like olive plants. Look at Psalm 128. That's the language there. The blessed man, the godly man who fears God, he has these children around him and they are like olive plants. Psalm 128 verse 3. That children enrich our lives is implied in Psalm 127, verses 3 and 5. The man's happy because his quiver is full of these sons, these valiant sons, even godly sons. And without these arrows in his quiver, he would be unarmed. He would lack something. He would not be as equipped for the future. He would not be as enriched without this quiver of these sons. And so we find our own children, especially as they grow, to be among our best helpers. Well, Psalm 128 picks up where Psalm 127 ends. Here's the blessed man in his home. Look at verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. It's the same language as verse 5. Happy, same word. Happy is the man who fills his quiver. Blessed or happy is everyone who fears the Lord. And then we have a picture of his home, of what it will usually, not always, but usually look like. He is blessed in his home. And look at verses 2 to 4. He's eating the labor of his hands. But verse 3 in particular, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants. All around your table. Olive plants surrounding his table. And what is this but a picture of how his children will enrich his home? Olive plants. One man says, as the vine, and there he's talking about verse 3, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. He says, as the vine and the olive yielded the greatest refreshment and were emblems of the greatest gladness, 
So here in Psalm 128, they are put for the exquisite delights flowing to a good man through his wife and children. So children fill our homes with gladness and even these exquisite delights, their joy, their wonder at everything, even the most little things. It fills us with delight, their excitement at life as they're discovering new things, their little personalities, especially as those personalities begin to bloom and come out and we see them. It's a delight to us. As we see their progress and growth, as year by year goes by, sometimes even week after week, we see progress and it causes us to delight, especially when we see them understanding truth that we're teaching them and embracing that truth. Their smiles, their laughs, their playfulness, their imagination, all of these things fill our home with gladness. They enrich us. These are gifts of God. Coming home from a long and a stressful day, it's a joy to be met at the door with children excited to see you. God can use our children to refresh us, even to relieve stress. And even as they might add to your stress, we can find that they're a source of delight. You probably know this to be true. You probably have stories. Even as they test your patience, they can make you laugh. I was just thinking, or this just happened yesterday, we were praying at our meal and Luke was talking and I said, Lukey, you can't talk when Dada is praying. So I start to pray again and he says, talk, 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 talk. He's going on and he's smiling and I'm trying to tell him you can't talk when I'm praying, but I start laughing. We're both laughing. So they bring joy even as they test our patience. As they go to bed, we might breathe a sigh of relief. And then we go on to talk about our children. And we tell stories about the things they did that day. And we laugh. So they are a delight to us. They make us smile. They enrich our lives, filling our homes with joy and with gladness. So that's one way in which they're a blessing. Second way, this is, again, low-hanging fruit here. Children help us to better understand the heart of God toward us. They help us to better understand the heart of God toward us. In the first place, they help us to better understand the love of God for us. His love is incomprehensible. We can never get our minds around his love and understand just how deep the love of God is for us, his children. But having children can give us just a little bit more insight into this love that is beyond our comprehension. We love our children, and so we want to give them good gifts, especially when they ask us. If our children ask for bread, will we give them stones? Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. We don't give them stones if they ask for bread because we love them. And he goes on to say in Matthew 7, 11, if you then being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So our love for our children, it's but a pale comparison to God's great love for us. Or you think about mothers. 
Mothers, would you abandon your precious little babies who need you? Of course you wouldn't, because you love them deeply. You want to nurture them and take care of them and protect them. Yet infinitely greater is the love and the commitment of God to his people. And so we read something like this, Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. So being a mother can help you to understand that text and enter into it a little bit more. Surely having children helps us to understand the great love of God, who spared not his only son, but gave him up for us all. To give us something of a better idea of this. What love when we understand he sent his only begotten son. Who of us would do such a thing? And yet God has done that. He has sent his son for unworthy sinners. His only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Children, I hope you know that your parents love you. And they love you. Truly more than you can know. And unless and until you have children, you probably will not completely understand that. They love you deeply, but how much greater is God's love for his own children? So you see, when we have children, when God gives them children, it helps us to understand something of his heart for us. And firstly, his love. But also, not just his love when we're thinking about the heart of God toward his children, but having our own children helps us understand his tender compassion toward us. How he pities us. As we read in Psalm 103.13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, you don't need to be a father to benefit from this verse, to benefit from this comparison here. But it does shed some light when, based on your own experience, you say, ah, yes, that makes sense. I know how I pity my children and how that draws out my love for them, my heart for them, when I see their frailty and their weakness. Children can help us understand God's fatherly discipline. A key text would be Hebrews 12. We read in Hebrews 12, 7, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? You can understand this as a son or daughter. If you have parents who love you and discipline you. But you can understand this even more, I believe, as a parent who then has to chasten a son or a daughter Why do we do that, those of us who have children? Why do we chasten them? Why do we discipline them? Is it because we don't love them? Is it because we want to irritate them and we just want to lash out at them? No, it's because we love them and we want what's best for them. We want to see that foolishness which is bound up in their hearts. We want to see it gone from their hearts. And we want them to be wise, truly wise, that they might go to Christ. And so we can understand a little bit better when we hear that our Father loves us more than we can possibly know, and yet he disciplines us because he loves us. He's treating us as sons. He wants to see those fruits in our life, the fruits of righteousness. So children can help us understand the heart of God, his love, his tender compassion, his fatherly discipline. That's a second way. 
A third way, children are a blessing because they help us to see the image of God in which we are made. They're a blessing because they can help us to see the image of God in which we are made. You don't have to have your own children for this to be true. Mankind is uniquely made in God's image. No other creatures were made in the image of God. This comes out very clearly in the Genesis account in Genesis 1. This was made according to its kind. This was made according to its kind. And then finally, man is is made in God's image according to God's likeness. Man is unique. And it's not my purpose to discuss what exactly that means. But man is the pinnacle of God's creation. There is something unique about man. Certainly, being created in the image of God means that we are more like God than any other creature, than the cattle, than the birds, dogs, cats, fish, you name it. We have been made for God in a special way and made to reflect God in a special way. Now, for some reason, having children has made me think more about this. It shouldn't have probably taken that, but having children has caused me to think and to meditate more often on how we are made in the image of God. When I see my children discovering the world around them and their eyes lighting up, it makes me think about that. Here is the image of God. I see their interactions with us, even from their earliest days, the sparkle in their eyes and the smile that comes upon their face when they look at mom or dad. It's the image of God. I see how they learn to communicate in more and more complex ways. I see how they show their love and an array of other emotions, and it causes me to think about how we are created in the image of God. So children are a blessing in that way. They can help us to think about this, to see. They give us perspective on the fact that we're made in God's image. A fourth blessing. Children help us to see the marvelous handiwork of God. Children help us to see the marvelous handiwork of God. And this overlaps with the point I was just making. But I would add this. They help us to see that we are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made, as the psalmist says. That we have been skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. That God has formed us, knit us together. Something about having your own children really presses this home. And as you look at your children, it helps you to see the marvelous handiwork of God. It's wonderful to track the progress of a child from conception to birth. And aided by advancements in knowledge, aided by advancements in technology, we get a front row seat to the marvelous handiwork of God as he's knitting together in the womb. We see the beauty and the complexity of it all, and it's staggering, and it ought to cause us to praise, to glorify God as we behold these things. So children help us to see the marvelous handiwork of God in them. 
but in another way also. They help us to look at creation with fresh wonder, with new eyes. I think all of us have probably experienced this. Even just bringing a friend to some thing that you have maybe taken for granted, and they come and they're saying, it's amazing. You say, wow, I guess it is. Children do that because they're brought into this world. They don't know anything. And it's all so amazing and wonderful to them. And we're reminded of how amazing and wonderful, truly, the creation is. We know, we know that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the firmament, the sky above, declares or proclaims his handiwork. We know this, but when is the last time we have been in awe of the moon and the stars and really paused and considered and let ourselves be in amazement? such that we glorify God who created all of these things. We know that God made everything for his glory. The whole expanse of the universe, but then down to the tiniest things in this creation, all created for his glory. But how often do we stop and wonder at the beauty of a tree or a flower or at the amazing features of a little bug, maybe an ant, So Dada, look, you think it's just an ant. But yes, it's an ant, and it's amazing when you think about it. Yes, as you see it, even in its own complexity, and how it's doing exactly what God has designed it to do. It was made for God's glory. So we begin to see the world through these fresh eyes, the eyes of children. Another saying that my grandfather would say to me in particular often, he would say, you need to stop and smell the roses. Slow down, stop, and smell the roses. Our children can help us do that. To stop, smell the roses, and give glory to God. That's a fourth way. A fourth benefit, blessing of children to us. A fifth thing is this, that children give us a better perspective on the brevity of life. They give us a better perspective on the brevity of life. We look at them and we think, that was me not so long ago. At least I do. I look at Luke and in some ways, certain ways that he looks at me, it looks like some of my old pictures and I'm thinking, that's me. And that didn't seem like that long ago. But here I am. And so it gives us a perspective on the passing of the years. Soon... You think, Lord willing, my child will be standing where I'm at. And maybe if I'm still around, I'll see my children's children. They give us this perspective on the brevity of life. When we look at the next generation and the next, it's sobering, is it not, to see another generation come. To be here, you've probably experienced this in the church. Another generation is coming and you're starting to feel like among the old people. It can be sobering. Life is passing by. We see life going on rapidly right before our eyes. Our days are numbered. They're swiftly passing by. Swifter than a weaver's shuttle, as Job says in Job 7, 6. James 4, 14, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away like on a cold day and you're breathing out a little vapor. That's our life. It's good that we come to these realizations. When we learn to number our days, we gain a heart of wisdom. 
as was the prayer. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Well, God sometimes gives us children in order to teach us to number our days, to give us a perspective on the brevity of life. And when we gain this heart of wisdom, it helps us to navigate life well to the glory of God. It helps us to discern what is best and to focus on what is best. Now, children, believe it or not, someday, Lord willing, if if God preserves you, you will be old and you will be looking possibly at your own children or grandchildren. But you'll be looking at another generation coming up and you will have these thoughts. And I'm telling you now to listen to what I'm saying. It's true. Life is very short. Before long, you will be thinking just that. You're saying, where did the years go? Where did it all go? And so learn from this now. Gain a heart of wisdom, especially that you would go to Christ and that you would live for Christ so that your life would not be wasted and so that you would have eternal life in him. A sixth blessing. A sixth blessing is that children give us a better perspective on human nature. A better perspective on human nature and especially that we are born with corrupt, sinful natures. They give us this perspective. Because of Adam's first sin, we're all born with a fallen nature. We don't come into this world good and then just get corrupted by a bad world. We're born corrupt. With sin affecting every part of our being, there's nothing about our makeup that has not been marred by sin. So we speak of total depravity. Read the Bible and you will see this very clearly taught. But read children and their interactions, really just read anybody. Read humanity, but especially read children and their interactions with others. Maybe put them together with other children. As a little experiment, put some toys out there and see what comes out of them quite naturally. If we observe and we look, we can learn a lot about human nature, our fallen human nature. Yes, children are often very sweet, but the sin comes out and you know it. And maybe for a little bit you think your child's just born, it's so sweet. How could this child, how could anything evil come from this child? It doesn't take long, does it? It does not take long. You see it in their actions. You see it in their wills. It's probably how you see it first. In subtle ways, resisting your will. You see it in their emotions. You see it in their words. Why does my daughter, my little daughter, insist that others need to share with her? That's Kara, not not Hannah. But Kara, why? Kara, you need to share with your brother. He needs to share with me. See, that's, that's, we're naturally self-absorbed. No, you guys need to share with me. I don't need to share with you. That comes out of my heart naturally. All of us are born with this fallen nature, and children can help us see this. 
And then we have to go beyond this and say, if they can help us to see this and to have a better perspective on human nature, they can also help us understand what we really need, what our greatest need is. We don't just need to be modified a little bit and cleaned up a little bit to get into society and and have some checks and balances in our life. No, we need a new heart. And we need to be made right with God because, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, by nature we are children of wrath. We're not right with God. So it gives us a better understanding of what we truly need. We need to be born again from above. We need that work of the Spirit to give us a heart transplant and then to draw us to Christ in repentance and in faith. That's what we need. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be made right with him, declared right in his sight. So children can give us a perspective on our sinful nature and what our greatest need truly is. Seventhly, seventh blessing of children here. Children, even before they are born, drive us to our knees in prayer. Children, drive us to our knees in prayer. And I'm going to give several things here without expanding too much. But the constant demands of parenting, the constant demands of parenting, care, nurture, instruction, discipline, day after day, it makes us feel and see our insufficiency. So like Paul, when he understood what his task was, as we read in 2 Corinthians 2.16, he says, who is sufficient? As he's thinking about proclaiming the gospel, who is sufficient for these things? We're led to that point by the constant demands, by what we know God wants us to be and do as parents. We feel our insufficiency and say, who is sufficient for these things? So it leads us to cry out to God for his help and for his blessing. And especially that he would do what he alone can do in our children and for our children. We can't save them. We can do everything right, but we can't save them. God alone can save. So it's the constant demands, but also the prolonged weariness of parenting makes us feel our weakness. And feeling our weakness is a very good thing because it drives us to God. We feel our weakness, and this leads us to pray for strength and for God's sustaining grace. Remember Paul's thorn in his flesh. He pleaded three times that the Lord would remove it. We don't know what this thorn was. 2 Corinthians 12. But God didn't remove it. He wanted to teach Paul that his grace was enough for him. His grace was sufficient. And so this prolonged weariness of parenting, it makes us feel our weakness and we go to God and say, God, your grace is enough. Strengthen me. Your power is made perfect in weakness. How about the many anxieties of parenting? Many, many anxieties of parenting. And these lead us by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make our requests known to God. As we're overcome with anxieties for our children, it might be medically, it might even be minor things, it might be life-threatening things. It might be desires that we have for their progress and we're not seeing it. It might be 
something that's going on in their life that's a very big deal to them, whatever it is. Especially, though, when we see that they are going their own way. These are the anxieties and many, many, many more of parenting. But just as with any anxieties, we're to go to God. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, says Paul, go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. Or when Peter in 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us that God cares for us. And that's why we ought to go to him and to cast our cares upon him. So the many cares of parenting should lead us to God, to cast our cares upon him. The regular failures of parenting, our sins, our sins, our failures, these lead us to the throne of grace. They ought to lead us to the throne of grace. Not to despair, but to God's throne of grace, to plead for mercy to confess our sin, to seek his forgiveness and grace to help us to repent and to be what he's called us to be. The abundant joys, privileges, blessings of parenting, all of these lead us to prayers of thanksgiving and praise. So that's just a sampling of how you see children drive us to our knees in prayer. And so they're a blessing in that way if they make us more prayerful and dependent. Number eight, children are used by God for our progress in holiness, for our sanctification. They're used by God for our sanctification. This is a blessing in many different ways. Just consider a few things here. God uses children to humble us and dismantle our proud self Reliance. Just think about the things I said. So he'll use children to humble us and dismantle our proud self-reliance. He'll use a hundred other things too. I'm just saying that children are one of the things God will often use to humble us and to crush our pride. He uses children to test our patience and to refine our patience, to make us more patient. Children test our patience. You know this. They're children. So they test our patience when they act like children. And we have to repeat ourselves again and again and again. And sometimes they're uncontrolled in their responses. And their responses are irrational, totally blown out of proportion. You may not even know why they're upset. In many different ways, they test our patience. And this is good for us. Anything that tests our patience is good for us. God uses it like a furnace to refine us. Beginning often was showing us that we're not as patient as we thought. We were patient until we were provoked. And now we see we're not as patient as we thought. And so we're humbled and we go to God. And that's a good thing. This is called sanctification. So God can use our children to test our patience and refine it. God uses children to challenge and to drive out our selfishness. He uses children to make us, especially men, more sober-minded. You know Titus 2, what Paul said about the young men? He wanted them to be sober-minded. Well, God can use children to help men be sober-minded, to think more clearly about life. I've seen it again and again. I've experienced it in my own life. 
God uses children also to spur us on in the pursuit of godliness, to exercise ourselves toward godliness, as Paul says. And in a couple ways, at least, one is we consider who and, we, and what we want our children to be. We want them to be godly. We want them to be pursuing God. We want them to make diligent use of the means of grace. We want to see the fruits of the Spirit in them. We want all of these things for them, and it challenges us. So we pursue godliness. They spur us on. But also, as we consider that our children and the children of others are watching, and they are easily influenced and likely to follow our examples, good or bad, God can use this as a spur to us to pursue godliness. Maybe you see something reflected in your children that isn't good, and you realize it's come from you. God can use that as a spur to repent and to pursue godliness. God uses children to train us in humble service to others. All of that labor, nobody sees it, humble service, it's a training ground. So he's sanctifying us with this. And in some cases, God uses children and the home to train men for ministry. The home is a training and testing ground for pastors and aspiring pastors. We read about this in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1 with the qualifications of overseers. I think I would even say that God uses children to make men better preachers. But I think I would also say probably in the long run, not necessarily in the short term, when you first have children. I'm not sure about that yet, but I'm hopeful that in the long run, having children will make me a better preacher. Even if now I might feel with all the time and energy they draw out of me, that it makes me a worse preacher, if that makes sense. That was just a thought I had as I was driving here. So, hmm. Number nine. Children are used by God to help us better understand and communicate the truth. They're used by God. This is a way they're a blessing. They are used by God to help us better understand and communicate the truth. Especially if they're your children, because God has told us very plainly in the scriptures, think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we as parents are to be diligent to teach our children daily, to take opportunities, teachable moments to teach them. Line upon line, day after day, we are to do this diligently. God has called us as fathers especially to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we know this is what the Lord requires. And this responsibility has a way of challenging us. It has a way of sharpening us in our understanding of the truth and especially of the gospel. If you've ever taught, you know this to be the case. So those of you who teach Sunday school, you're preparing your lessons do you not often learn more about something as you're laboring to try to explain it simply and clearly? So it is with our children. God can use them and the responsibility he's given to us to teach them and to preach the gospel to them in order to sharpen us and help us to more clearly and simply tell them the good news of Christ. Tell them about what God 
has done and who he is and what he requires of us. And children have a way of asking questions that challenge us to think. So God can use children as a blessing in this way to help us better understand and communicate the truth. Here's a tenth and final thing. Children, by God's grace, will be the future builders. So here's how they're a blessing. They will be the future builders. And that's the language here of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they will be the future builders. So we come full circle now with our children becoming the next generation of builders. And in this sense, children are our most enduring legacy. Even if you don't have your own children, but you invest in the children of others, this is an an enduring legacy, far greater than riches, houses, cars, whatever we might want to pass on when we die. This is our enduring legacy. Far better to leave behind godly children than a great fortune. In fact, having children is not a way to get rich. So far better, though, to leave behind godly children than a fortune. In any society, children are the future, right? Children are the future in any society. No children, no future. So whenever this reality has been ignored... Or whenever this reality has been undermined, you can think of the infamous one-child policy in China, I believe for about 40 years. And whenever this kind of thing happens, the consequences are severe. Children are the future builders of godly homes. We bring up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We guide them. We discipline them all in the hope that one day they will be doing the same. That one day maybe God will give them a home and that they will build faithfully and raise up children and do the same. So it's multiplying the blessing of children, even allowing us the rich blessing of seeing our children's children, which some of you in here know. Proverbs 17.6 describes this Grandchildren as the crown of old men, their crown. Children are the future builders of the church in a sense. Christ will build his church. He's the one building it, Matthew 16, 18. The church, God's spiritual house, is built up of living stones, the language that Peter uses in 1 Peter 2. But these living stones do, in a sense, become the builders of the church. The future pastors and deacons, looking at you children here, some of you might be officers in this church or some other church. The future pastors and deacons, future defenders and the propagators of the truth, the future evangelists, the future Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, foot washers in the church, John 13. Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Children are the future biblical scholars and the wise counselors and on and on we could go. It's absolutely vital for the health of the church that we labor and we pray for the salvation of the children in our midst. Beginning in our own home, of course. 
The church, though, plays a key role in raising up the next generation in many formal ways. So we have Sunday school classes, but also in informal ways, as we all have a part and we can invest in the lives of children here. And all of these investments, as we sow and as we water, they're not just investments in precious individual lives. They are that, but they're investments in the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Children also, they're not just the future builders of homes, godly homes, and of the church, but they're the future builders of society. They're the future politicians, the future surgeons, the future doctors and nurses. They're the future construction workers and engineers. They are the future soldiers and law enforcement officers and teachers and skilled craftsmen. Children are the future builders of society. The strength of any society lies in the next generation and then in the next. And if a society ceases to have children or ceases to invest in children, that society will not last long. It won't prosper. I'm convinced that Christians ought to be the best workers in the world. Not necessarily the smartest or the most skilled, but the best. They should be the hardest working, the most dependable the most trustworthy, honest, wise, courageous workers in the world, and not just because they have the spirit and word of God abiding in them, but also because we are to labor in the fear of God as serving the Lord and not men. So we do all that we do heartily as unto the Lord. So Christians ought to be the best workers in the world. So in light of this, I'm convinced that the more Christians in any given society, the more that society will truly prosper. If you care about the future of this nation, there are many good things that you can do. But one vital thing that we must not neglect is the having and the raising up of children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the training and admonition of the Lord as we read in Ephesians 6:4. Children who will then go out of our homes and shine as bright lights in this dark world, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, like stars shining brightly in the sky. When we die, we can no longer build, but we can leave behind children who will carry on the work, and especially the work of the kingdom. And if we have no children of our own, we can still invest in children in countless ways. And they are still blessings in countless ways. Many of these ways I have mentioned, you don't have to be a parent. So these investments with God's blessing in children will bear much fruit because children are the future builders. So the psalmist says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. It's been said children are their own reward, and that's true, but we've seen at least 10 ways in which children are a blessing, and there are many more. So we need to learn to see children as God sees them. We need to learn to see them as a blessing. If God's given you children, count your blessings, and then go on laboring, building your home in full dependence on God. But I do want to end by saying this. Speaking of children and the blessing of children, this is not 
the be all and end all of our existence, the home and children and raising them. It's not, it's not everything in our life. God may not give that to you. Our Lord didn't have a home. Paul didn't have a home. We could go on and on. God has made us ultimately for himself, for his glory, to live for him, not ultimately to be husbands and fathers and on and on, uncles, whatever. There'll be a day when there's no more marriage. Jesus talked about this. We saw that in Mark 12. No more giving and receiving in marriage. It's going to be done away with. There's going to be a day when there's no more children born. There's going to be a day when there's nobody else being brought into the kingdom because the whole number of the elect, the chosen of God before the foundation of the world, all of them will have been gathered together. That day is coming where this kind of building is not going to take place. So if God never gives you a family, it's true that there are many blessings that you may never know in this life, some of those domestic blessings. But if you belong to the family of God, your blessings in Christ will be undiminished forever. We keep this perspective. So that we read a text like Isaiah 56, 4 and 5, where God is speaking about the eunuch who could have no children. Let not the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the same could be said of women who never bear, bear children and yet are joined to the Lord and are part of the household of God. A day is coming when no more spiritual children will be added, no more conversions, and Christ will come. And then, then what? God will dwell with his people in a new heaven, in a new earth. All things made new. And as we read in Revelation 21.4, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments to meditate over your word, and we know that your word is truth. We pray that anything untrue and what has been brought forward would not be used by the enemy, but that which is true would be used by you for great good. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of children, and we ask that you would help us to see them as you see them. And Lord, that you would use them in our lives for great good. But our burden especially is to see our children and all of the children here to be fearing you, walking in ways of wisdom, seeking after Christ, clinging to him. That is our heart's desire. And we know only you can do that. And so we sow, we water, but we pray for your blessing. Even tonight, we know that you can work by your spirit to bring new life in this room. We pray that you would do it. Bless our homes and our marriages. We pray that they would be strengthened, 
We pray that you would sanctify us and bless us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us as we go out this week. We thank you that we've been able to meet in your house to have your word to wash over us and to correct our thinking and help us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.